0: Welcome to Unedited, the fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. Brought to you by Vicky Giles and Grace Hill.
1: From fashion, beauty, and homeware, Vicky and I will cover industry topics and shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. Hello, Grace. Hey, Vicky, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, how are you? I'm right, just survived the central line, so <laughs> feeling fine. Well done. So, unless you've
0: been living under a rock for the past few years or recently been too distracted by the Wagatha Christie saga, then you'll know that sustainability is a word that holds a lot of weight in nearly everything we do. From eating less meat, switching our energy supply to renewable energy, or buying secondhand clothing, it's something that affects all of us. And we're here today to discuss how fashion is reducing its footprint and what retailers can do to be more sustainable. Grace has even been doing her bit by upping her recycling game and even buying a double bin to help her separate all her rubbish.
1: I sure have. I've been an avid recycler recently. Um, But yes, more importantly, it is a subject that's flooding our news channels, streets and social media feeds. The question is, how are we tackling the growing concern of sustainability in retail? The clothing and textile industry is one of the largest polluters in the world, following oil. The apparel industry accounts for nearly 10% of global carbon emissions. So whilst there's this constant demand from newness, from consumers, and never wanting to be photographed twice in the same outfit on Instagram, the damage and impact caused by the fashion industry can no longer be ignored. So how
0: are brands actually cutting down their carbon footprint? And what new technology is out there to help them? We've got with us today, Brooke Roberts Islam, aka Textiler an industry insider writing about fashion tech and sustainability. She's a co-director of the innovation agency Bria, where they create materials, tech collaborations and sustainability innovations with brands from both the fashion and technology sectors. She's one of the few specialists whose experience bridges both science and design, as well as running one of her own fashion brands. She's been invited to speak about fashion tech at many conferences and events, including delivering her own TED Talk. And we're absolutely delighted to have her with us. Thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm very pleased to be here.
0: So, Brooke, tell us more about what you do at Bria.
2: Sure. So at Bria, we're a materials innovation agency. So we focus on supporting brands to better source and develop materials, but also to look at material alternatives. Uh, We've done quite a large chunk of research, which was EU funded, and we've developed a recycling process for cellulosic textiles. Um, We're working very closely with a jeans manufacturer at the moment to um, implement that within their factory. In the last six months, our focus has shifted drastically towards digital materials because we've been working closely with some large scale manufacturers in Bangladesh. Uh, And also other parts of Asia, Pakistan as well, who are very concerned with the amount of raw materials that are being used in samples and who are also very concerned with their ability to meet brand and retailer requirements when it comes to speed of sampling. So they're looking for digital solutions around this and there are some existing in the market already. But they're a little bit disjointed and there are some significant challenges when working with design teams who are using 3D design and technical teams. So actually using those software tools to get an accurate fit output, for example, Mm -hmm. that can make a perfect sample Mm -hmm. is really challenging. So at Bria, we have developed a process that that goes a long way to solving that problem. Um, We just presented it at London Fashion Week actually amazing. it was amazing it was great we had a very positive response to something that's been quite universally challenged so far yeah. um, in terms of you know fashion being digital yeah. rather than physical but I think because we were able to do a b testing because of our previous experience as a brand mm-hmm. you know, we've made physical products we've been through the sampling and yeah. development processes we were able to do a b testing against that process that we used and Mm -hmm. our digital process so we could quantify the amount of textile saved in sampling the time the cost the the trips (laughs) to manufacturers so we were able to present to london fashion week industry and also the public the amount of carbon savings and also the cost savings and time savings of going digital so i think That's why we had such a great response, because people could quantify it and understand it. Um, And also because, you know, in our conversations with the British Fashion Council in presenting this initiative, it became very clear that there are a lot of designers taking part in London Fashion Week who want more sustainable solutions. Mm -hmm. They want access to solutions that will help them reduce their waste levels, reduce their carbon Mm -hmm. emissions and become more profitable. You know, let's that, that, be honest, I mean, the amount of money that's spent on sampling globally, crazy. Is, it, it's in the five to seven billions annually, the cost of sampling. Okay. And if we kind of take a step back and think about the sampling process, it's just a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't have value for the business. No, it's products just it's aren't going to market, How they? They're not. They're going to landfill mm-hmm. or they're going to a sample sale, and even that has, you know, costs associated guess, with it. So... We believe at Bria that we can affect widespread change by making 3D design far more attractive and yeah. implementable, mm-hmm. um, both for creatives and technical people within brands and manufacturers. I,
0: so you said you were approached by the manufacturer, the supplier, yeah. rather than the, from the, the brand itself.
2: Yeah, well, that came out of some work that we were doing with the Bangladesh ready-made garment industry. Oh. I. personally, uh, and, you know, I've instilled this in my team, um, I'm very passionate about manufacturing in the Far East. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I mean, for for quite a few reasons, partly for personal family reasons. I have family living in Bangladesh Mm -hmm. and I know um, the culture and I know the industry there. And I believe that it's created a lot of change. I mean, it's 80% of Bangladesh's exports are ready-made garments. Mm -hmm. It's second only to China in terms of its impact, and this is not news to any global retailer, no. particularly in, on the high street. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important that we find ways to keep that industry going. Yeah, At the moment, it's under severe threat because of some serious mistakes in the past, you know, and some serious tragedies. But it's also under threat because Ethiopia and other, you know, Vietnam and other Uh, countries are developing their own cut price manufacturing Mm -hmm. and that threatens the profitability of Bangladesh. There are 4 million people working in the industry there. So, you know, and manufacturers want to be able to keep going. They want to be able to keep providing jobs for their staff, Mm -hmm. but they can't afford to with the current system. Yeah, You know, having, I spoke to one manufacturer who makes or has requests for 400 samples a day. That's one manufacturer. You know, that's what made me really start to think about our work at Bria as an innovation agency, mm-hmm. as an agency that's tasked with solving problems. Yeah. And, you know, in the widespread sort of context of this, sustainability is what we're trying to address here. If we can implement changes that can have a fundamental shift across the industry mm-hmm. that can slash textile waste and speed, you know, sampling and reduce costs and improve profitability across the supply chain, we're winning. Yeah. So with that, obviously, you've
1: got this desire from the manufacturer who mm. wants to obviously improve that process. But mm. I feel like there's this mindset change that needs to happen actually at the brand and the retailer level. You know, our experience in buying and having people demanding to see another sample because that fit doesn't look right. And people not feeling confident putting units yeah. behind a product that doesn't fit yeah. properly. Yeah. How do you think we you know could go about that and mm
2: solving it at that end as well as from a manufacturer. It's very system. challenging because you're right, there's a lot of fragmentation, you know, there's sometimes conflicting um, responsibilities of people within teams and decision-makers. Mm. Whilst that is really difficult and challenging to address right now, there's some serious environment imperatives that are going to mean that it costs an incredible amount of raw material um, uptake to continue making these wasteful samples or or you know, placing orders of product that doesn't sell. Mm -hmm. You know, now that we're collecting more data around uh, sales and Mm -hmm. manufacturing and costs and warehousing and everything's getting a digital footprint, we can start to quantify the real cost of that. And while we before didn't really understand Mm -hmm. what the cost was, we do now. So change management is probably the thing that people talk about most in this debate as being the biggest challenge. I totally agree with that. and I don't have the answer. Mm-hmm. To my mind, it's about presenting a better alternative. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and, and a proven one. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we went to Fashion Week with our digital solution, we were like, oh, we're not just going to show how cool it is. We're going to show gonna, what it can change. Exactly. And we're going to show, we, we created a video that showed every step of the process. Yeah. And we created an Instagram filter it showed you know people interacting with digital fashion we we understand that we need to normalize things yeah we're human and that means we're deeply flawed <laughs> and paranoid and we fear making mistakes and we you know we make lots of mistakes so again what, what you were saying about sort of buyers hedging bets and things like that we need to provide better alternatives yeah. i think that's what digital can do
1: amazing great so how obviously you're where you're working with tech companies and with fashion brands and kind of collaborating on sustainability challenges. You've obviously discussed the sampling process that you're working on, but are there any other initiatives that you're
2: seeing? Yeah, I think um, as we all know that the biggest contributor to carbon emissions from the fashion supply chain is materials. So there's been a huge focus on developing new materials and developing new processes to recycled materials some of the most exciting are i think from companies like Infinited fiber who are developing a way to recycle post-consumer waste that doesn't have to have a homogenous input yeah so it can have up to 20 percent synthetics and still generate a, a high quality fiber output that can be turned into new materials without any loss of quality yeah so Companies like that, which are backed by the H&M Foundation and, you know, big players, offer solutions to potentially drastically reduce the amount of virgin fibres that are needed. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way that we can measure and understand at scale. Yeah, That's what's key. I receive a lot of um, information about new solutions that are up and coming, but many of them, especially on the bio side, will take a decade or so to develop so and to scale. Yeah. Even a company like Bolt Threads, mm-hmm. you know, is doing incredible work, but it takes time. Yeah. And making it affordable and scaling it will take time. Mm-hmm. So it's these more immediate solutions like what infinite of yeah. Fiber that have, de- you know, have developed – that are the ones that I think are the most immediately exciting and potentially rewarding. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's crucial, the fact that it's immediate? Do you think people
0: need to see immediate change, immediate difference in order to kind of galvanise themselves to to pay more attention to this? This is a
2: supply chain improvement, so I don't know if we're really going to see. This is a challenge. We don't necessarily see these improvements, but we can quantify them and we can stack them up against the imperative right now, which is to be carbon neutral by 2025. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a visible improvement, but this is a calculable one yeah. that brands can put in place yeah. to reduce their impact and then tell people about mm-hmm. it. And yeah. and the, the problem is if we don't actually address these issues, then the... The consequence of continuing to emit carbon the way we are means that global temperatures will rise, which will mean that the cost of raw materials skyrockets. And mm-hmm. it will mean that, you know, it's a kind of cascade of um, events that will work very, very severely against fashion yeah. um, and make it very, very hard to do business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's more I think it's, it's got to be viewed from that point of sure. view.
0: Why are people talking about this now? Why, in you know, particularly within the, the past twelve months, have people started to really take sustainability, particularly in fashion and retail, a bit more seriously? What do you think
2: happened that caused this? I think there's a number of things that have, have happened. Um, I think the fact that um, there have been reports issued by the UN and um, the World Economic Forum that have really quantified what's happening to our planet Mm -hmm. and that have presented it in no uncertain terms. Uh, I think the kind of global rebellion around uh, what's been happening for the last 30 years um, but that hasn't really received any column inches has struck fear Mm -hmm. into people. Um, So I think the resulting anxiety has meant that everybody has had to take notice yeah. because when consumers are anxious and fearful that buying habits change, it's a kind of, I guess you could say it's a sad state of affairs that it takes that, but you know, as I've mentioned already as humans, we're, we're pretty flawed mm. and we tend to like to bury our head in the sand and we don't like to change and we don't like to take responsibility for yeah. things that we feel are big and scary. So I think it's these these different forces. Yeah. Um, I think someone like Greta Thunberg as well, as a child, um, as a young person, um, has created a very um, emotive a kind of atmosphere. When yeah. she speaks about it, there is genuine emotion. And she's a child. Yeah. And we're adults. And we're presiding over this situation. Mm-hmm. And seeing someone vulnerable who wants to understand this current situation and can't Mm -hmm. because there are a load of facts that are being ignored, makes it um, a very um, sort of immediate and hard to ignore uh, situation. And
1: I think it's hard to ignore as well because for consumers because all of us engage with retail, right? And we Mm -hmm. engage with fashion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as you said, we like to bury our heads in the sand, but this is an industry that everybody is a part of. So I guess it's come to the forefront of our mind. You know, how are my
2: buying habits impacting the environment? It's cultural. Fashion is cultural. It's about the way that we we present ourselves in the world. It's about the way that we, um, I guess... It's about the way we choose to kind of um, place ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in tribes. (laughs) Branding, (laughs) our own branding based on what we wear and what we buy. Yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, veganism is so huge because people associate values with the way they consume and the way they present themselves. You know, you can't separate culture, lifestyle, personal um, beliefs and fashion. You know, they're very intertwined. intertwined.
1: I guess what advice would you give to brands, maybe fast fashion retailers, who rely very heavily on, you know, polyester or acrylic fibres? Maybe those aren't viewed as sustainable as, you know, natural fibres.
2: And I would say do a life cycle analysis on the product. That's the gold standard in understanding the impact of a product. Mm-hmm. We're all too keen to simplify sustainability mm-hmm. and make it binary you know we cannot say that a cotton garment is sustainable and a polyester garment isn't
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's like saying a paper bag is sustainable and a, and a plastic one's not the impact of a paper bag is far higher on the environment than a plastic bag that's just that's a fact but microplastics leaching into the ocean is an emotive argument that yeah. that causes people to still believe that plastic bags are more environmentally damaging overall than paper Mm -hmm. So it's about not looking at this simply, looking at your product from beginning right through to end of life Mm -hmm. and understanding its impact and then choosing the the option that has the least impact. Mm -hmm. And I, I think even beyond that, you start with your core products, your hero products, the products that you sell the most of. Yes. You know, and you deal with those. You make those more sustainable, as sustainable as they can possibly be. And then you talk to your consumer about that. The approach needs to be more rigorous. It needs to be led by the material science and the manufacturing behind the product, not by marketing.
1: It's interesting, isn't it, when you said focusing on those core products mm. and your hero products that are driving those sales and the you know the greatest volume of retailers' lines, because you see so many retailers having small spin-off, yep. you know, sustainable lines. And you know, we've done analysis in house, edited, and seen only kind of one to three percent of all products that are in the market tend to be sustainable
2: or branded uh, sustainable, branded, branded, sustainable. Yeah. my team at textiler have done research on the ground at london fashion week the last two seasons we've surveyed 500 people a mixture of industry insiders and people who are just on the street yeah. at fashion week yeah. and we've asked their attitudes towards sustainability and we've also asked about the brands that they're wearing the brands that they buy mm-hmm. and we've found that on occasion people have said that they believe H&M to be the most sustainable and H&M to be the least sustainable. Yeah. Because when they've bought the conscious collection, they feel that they're buying the most sustainable option, yeah. but then when they buy from the regular collection, it's the least. So we, we've we got this absolute confusion um, around the kind of capsulization um, of sustainability. And I, I don't think that consumers are buying into that anymore. No. So that's why there's this fundamental approach needed that I think should be based on life cycle analysis and it should be at C-suite level. Yeah. There should be someone in the C-team who understands life cycle analysis, who has an environmental science background and who can really start to quantify where savings can be made. Interesting mention that C-suite because we've seen that rise
1: of, kind of that chief sustainability officer role that has that's emerged within (laughs) the fashion industry and you mentioned the kind of background
2: it's hard enough to find candidates for roles like this because it's new you know and there's a sort of lack of expertise but the reason I've ended up speaking about this so often is because my background is in science I did a a science degree and I worked in the NHS for a decade Mm. um, before I studied fashion in London at LCF and St Martin's so I I'm confident in talking about this because I understand the fundamentals of chemistry and biology and and physics. So I, I can get to grips with a research paper. You know, I can, I can understand what rigorous research is, but not everybody has had access to that, Mm -hmm. you know? So without that, I can see that there's a lack of confidence um, and actually just a lack of knowledge of, of how to, even read through a a UN environmental report and sort of confidently make some deductions from it or relay key points from that to you know the rest of the CT.
1: I think looking at kind of talking about materials and um, Stella McCartney recently has been speaking a lot about how she's developed sustainable viscose or, Mm -hmm. or rayon and talking about how you know individuals can't continue to drive change. You know, organisations need to collaborate and come together. Mm. Because she was talking about how, you know, 150 million trees are cut down from our rainforest every year just to fund viscose and fashion. Mm. Um, have you got any ideas on how brands can kind of maybe come together and pioneer in kind of material innovation?
2: Well, it's an interesting one because um, the innovation happens in the suppliers and the manufacturers. Um, that's where you know, the teams of material scientists are and the the technicians who actually create the innovation. But without a brand to share that message, it's a little value. Mm -hmm. So actually, I think it's an important point that manufacturers and brands need to perhaps work a little bit more closely together. And I think also if brands are a little bit more willing to talk about the involvement of the manufacturers and share some more information about the development um, that makes it a bit more in the consumer consciousness Mm -hmm. Um, and that I think actually gives consumers a bit more credit for their ability to understand the process Mm -hmm. rather than sort of packaging it into a a neat, glossy, marketed message. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can dig a bit deeper. Maybe we can go behind the scenes a bit more. Um, And then that will make it the norm. All brands should be working with manufacturers who work in that way if if it's in the visibility of of consumers. I think we've traditionally not really been very open um, as brands about the people behind our materials and our products. So I think that should change. I think when, you know, it
0: all became about competition and who was getting the best price for the, the right product and people began, you know, it was very guarded with who, mm. who your who your supply base was. And actually there's obviously been a movement to make that much more transparent mm. recently and to start publishing lists of who your manufacturers are and who your suppliers are. Um, but there's definitely things that, that brands can do to, to move that forward. I know that, you know, there's a lot of subcontracting that goes on. Mm. So actually some brands don't even know who's producing their garments yeah they have you know they have an understanding that they've given the contract to a factory but when subcontracting happens Mm. it's not something that the brand has visibility or control of and actually just being more aware and having those discussions with manufacturers and maybe working more in partnership will open that relationship
2: yeah i think there's a lot of work to be done in that area i think digitization can actually really help because it can facilitate a much closer relationship between design teams in Europe, for example, and technical teams in Asia. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're working on the same software and they have this kind of common understanding and, you know, we're able to kind of bring those teams closer together and maybe if the manufacturers can get a bit more value out of the supply chain, maybe they can lend a little bit more value from their end Mm -hmm. and sort of provide those samples quicker and, and, digitally for retailers and allow them to focus on the business of selling, Yeah, I, I think we need to reimagine the way that this can be done because mm. um, the old system isn't working. It's not like no. everybody's <laughs> making tonnes of money no, and no. the environment's in great shape, no, you know. No. It isn't actually working. So the argument for continuing to do, do things as they've always been done isn't looking not too strong. strong. There absolutely needs to be... A renewed focus, I think, on communications teams Mm -hmm. to understand what sustainability means Mm -hmm. and to communicate it in a more literate manner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can't be communicated in terms of marketing speak and selling product and making people just feel good about the product. It has to deliver an understanding of the product and add the real value to that Mm -hmm. message. You know, what is the value in buying that product? Um, I gave a talk recently at a PR agency and that made me realise just how difficult it is for PR companies at the moment because they have a lot of brands working with them who want to understand how to communicate sustainability. But within the PR companies, there isn't anyone with an understanding. So it's, it's a time where knowledge is key.
0: Absolutely.
2: So what does um, a best practice
1: sustainable sourcing strategy look like? And who do you think is leading in fashion and retail? Mm. Um, You know, it is an overwhelming topic. So are there any kind of key initiatives that brands should be really focusing on for 2020?
2: You know, there are ways of approaching it that simplify Mm -hmm. sourcing. Um, There are some, I mean, particularly in denim, there are some really pioneering vertical manufacturers. So I think that's a good way to swiftly clean up your denim supply chain. Um, It's great companies like Sorti in Pakistan who have even done a cradle-to-cradle collection that they sample digitally. So I think looking to pioneering manufacturers and suppliers um, who are doing things vertically and who are also taking on the sort of uh, material science side of things, who have an intimate knowledge Mm -hmm. Um, of the impact of their materials and who have a vested interest yeah. in um, sort of improving their processes, I think that's the, that would be my go-to. If I was a retailer yeah. looking to dramatically improve my products and you could do the same for, for cotton, certain co- other cotton mills. Um, and to a degree, so, I mean, Viscose, if you work very closely with a company like Lensing that works in partnership with European um, spinners and mills, That's also a way. But usually there's a, I suppose, a limiting factor here is cost. Yeah. Um, But that's where, for example, implementing digital sampling can save tremendous amounts of money and time that then allow for an incremental rise in the cost of materials. So
0: this is a multifaceted
2: thing. That's why there's not an initiative. Mm -hmm. And that's why, and it takes a team to sit down and work out the strategy and map it. It's definitely not. We can just source recycled PET from this supplier.
0: Yeah,
2: you know that's that's just a quick win, um, but it's very hard to quantify the impact that that has versus working with a, a sort of vertical. Yeah,
0: platform. so we're talking really about focusing down our supply base and working
2: yeah. in partnership a lot more Sim- than currently mm-hmm. simplifying it, digitising it, mm-hmm. finding efficiencies, reducing the amount of things that are done because of legacy, that don't make sense. It does not make sense to remake a physical sample because you've moved a jet pocket no, it doesn't. or you've changed the colour of a trim. Mm-hmm. It simply doesn't make sense.
0: We hear a lot of retailers facing severe inventory challenges and uh, dead stocks. So H&M's was obviously a very high-profile one recently, with mm-hmm. around $4 billion of, of inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think brands can
2: solve this problem in a sustainable manner? plan for the future? Hmm. I think there's a myriad of ways, actually, that they can tackle this, but it requires data. Mm. It requires a, an understanding of what what's led to the overstock. I know, obviously, part of it is predictive purchasing, but I think leaning on AI and kind of getting algorithms working that reveal what the real demands are for products um, per geography um, is probably the quickest way to start tackling that. I think there are some other inherent problems within the buying process, which require certain amounts of product to be purchased per style, yeah. which could be addressed as well. But in order to do that, the whole process needs to be a bit leaner, because at the moment it's only viable when it when when we work in volume, viable you know, in terms of price and quantity. So we need to to shift that, I think, by saving money in the development process, like using digital design, Mm -hmm. which gives rise to a situation where it doesn't matter if you only make 100 units because you haven't made a huge number of physical samples in the process. It's still cost effective for you. We need to make that viable. And we need to make it possible for companies like H&M to replenish stock regularly so that they can offer new product but that can't cost the earth no. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Be more flexible in, in how they're buying into product and yeah. reading sales and then executing that. Yeah. You know, those challenges previously you know in buying of hitting MOQs and making yeah. sure okay, we have to buy a thousand units of this because we need this certain price. I think that's a, mm-hmm.
2: an amazing challenge. Yeah. we can't because it is causing problems for all of us. And I think, again, to the AI point and to really calculating the cost of this, if you look at the cost of warehousing and holding onto that stock yeah. and then dispensing of that stock, if you bring all of that into the cost, that MOQ doesn't so, suddenly look so viable. So, yeah. so I think it, it really – and this is, again, where the, the hard numbers help yeah. to make decisions. Without those, where we're lost.
0: So our success metrics need to change, them, yes. don't they? And how we yes. measure what is successful as a retailer probably need mm-hmm. to change to reflect all of those things.
2: Yeah. Everything has been getting faster, but not in the right way. Yeah. We need to get faster in a more efficient and data-based way yeah. rather than a, a scrambling to output more quicker
0: yeah.
2: kind of way. So we need to shift our, our way of measuring these things for sure.
1: Brooke thank you so so much that was absolutely fascinating thank you so much that was so interesting I think we could be here for hours Hours. it was a pleasure talking to you though thank you thank you for listening to unedited if you've enjoyed today's conversation with Brooke make sure you subscribe to keep in the loop with upcoming episodes it would make our day if you could rate review or subscribe to us you can get in touch at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. See you soon. Bye-bye.